0: You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production.
1: I began researching the story of Vancouver Island's missing men in the summer of 2020. It's now been a year since I first saw questions being raised about the men, questions that sparked my interest and resulted in the Gone Boys investigation. Sometimes, when you publish a story you've been working on for a while, it can be, well, deflating. Some stories just don't strike a nerve. And with this series, I worried that the fact that the missing men were marginalized, had mental health and or drug issues, might mean that no one would care about their disappearances. I'm pleased to say I was wrong. Palmer, and this is an update on Season 2, Gone Boys. There has been a ton of interest in the missing men's stories, so much so that I've asked my colleague, Jordan Heath Rawlings, the host of The Big Story, to help me unpack what's happened since the last episode dropped. But first, a fresh perspective on one of the missing men. An outreach worker here on the island got in touch with me after the episode about Kelly McLeod was published. I ring him to record an interview.
0: Alright, how are you?
1: Kelly, you may recall, is the logger and father of two who broke his neck and became addicted to crystal meth and other drugs. Kelly was homeless when he vanished from Campbell River, His sister, Laurel, believes her brother was murdered and wonders if Kelly crossed the wrong person. The man you're about to hear is plugged into the street scene. He also believes Kelly was murdered, but he doesn't think Kelly did anything to bring on the violence. He says the community was saddened and troubled by Kelly's murder. Here's how he describes the Kelly he came to know.
0: A very mellow and neutral person but he managed to keep his humor he's he made some really good jokes with me from time to time A nice person <laughs> kelly he was also a hard-working man he was uh collecting bottles and cans and batteries and metal and plenty of people like saved that stuff for him and he made his rounds you know he put more hours of work in a day or a week than your average um canadian worker <laughs> You know, didn't sleep much. And that was really hard on his body and brain. So, but his mind was, to me, kind of always the same. And I never once witnessed Kelly in a difficult interaction with anyone. You know, he gave people space. People gave him space. He would give some commentary, more likely a bit of humor, or like I said, just sort of a a nugget of... Crystal clarity, you know um, that's kind of what like maturity and like calm looks like amongst the very marginalized is like it's not going to change anytime soon.
1: And that description of Kelly as a hard-working guy is something I've heard from other community members, people who saved their recycling for Kelly and relied on him to come by for pickups. Kelly's Street wisdom and clarity also made him a valuable member of the drug-using community he was a part of. The opioid overdose crisis has been particularly acute for marginalized men here on the West Coast. This story illustrates how Kelly helped make life better for those around him. Picture the scene. It's a soup kitchen. The homeless, the mentally ill, the drug-addicted gather together. It's a point in their week to come together for food, company, and safety. But on this day, a new security guard is there. And his approach is putting everyone on edge.
0: The security guard was being very, very openly stigmatizing as i tried to train the security guard in the lock zone he just declined and i asked why and he used uh oh i just don't touch those people kind of in front of everyone he said that and it really upset the whole crowd that was there to get food at this um uh soup kitchen and so while i was trying to encourage everyone to express themselves to go to the city and you know say that that felt unsafe and kelly cut in and was like hey You know, it's good that he clarified, you know, we know who not to go to. We know like not to like, you know, run into that bump in the road. If we need help, we just take care of, you know, um, and he kind of helped me calm down. And I took his quote to the city. Um, So I took his quote that that is the wisdom of the street right there. That at least we know that that guy is not to be engaged. If we need help, if we're in an emergency, we know what to do. Kelly and the rest of the crowd are accomplished first responders. You know they they know how to draw up, give breaths, do an injection, um, wait, watch the signs, pinch, um, get someone back on their feet, breathe. You know everyone hundred times or more, and uh, Kelly. Help me calm down that day. I'm, like, getting all riled up, like, this is not okay. And he said, no, it is. It's better this way to know who's who.
1: Perspective really is everything. Those who only saw the image of Kelly on his missing person poster, disheveled, down on his luck, may have concluded his life was without purpose or even without value. But to his community... He was an essential worker, a hero, a warrior. Gone Boys, we'll be right back after a quick break. Jordan Heath Rawlings hosts the Big Story podcast. He's been following the series and is here now to help me sift through some new information and reaction to Gone Boys.
2: So what has the general reaction been to the series so far? Uh,
1: Well, one word, relief. Um, As soon as the trailer dropped, I began receiving emails and messages from people who had been noticing the men going missing and wondering if there might be a connection. Uh, Here's just one of the dozens of emails and messages I received. This is from a woman named Jocelyn, and she writes... Uh, Thank you for doing the podcast on the missing men around us. I wrote the RCMP in Ottawa years ago, begging them to open a task force on this, and they didn't reply. I hope you can bring enough attention to bring some resolve. I have no connection to any of the missing men. I just found it odd that nothing was spoken of the disappearances, so I started researching. I have no doubt something sinister is at work here. Be safe out there. You're doing amazing work for our community. And here's another from Victoria. Cases like these have always haunted me. With an almost 18-year-old son, it's been on my mind the last few years the number of young men who have shown up in short news clips as missing, never again to be mentioned, and seemingly no one investigating potential links between cases. All that to say thank you for what you're doing. I hope these families are able to find out what became of their loved ones sooner rather than later.
2: Those are really important. But what about, I really want to ask you about the families of the men who are missing. I remember we spoke before you did this project, we spoke on the big story, and I know how important that was to you as you did this story. So have you heard from them at all?
1: I have. And I would say, for the most part, the families have been incredibly supportive of the series right from the get go. They have been generous with their time and open to all of my questions. I've had a couple of people express a bit of regret over how they framed a comment here or there, worried about how something might be interpreted. And as you could imagine, within families, people approach things differently sometimes. are family members who want more attention on their cases, and others who simply find it all too painful. So overall, the response has been really positive. Um, one family member actually told me he believes this podcast represents their last best hope of finding their loved one.
2: Wow. Have you um, have you heard anything? I know with season one uh, about Lisa... Once the podcast came out, you started receiving information. Has that happened here?
1: Yes, it has happened and it is happening. Um, You will recall in episode four, I introduced the story of a young man who vanished a few years ago from a small island community and then was subsequently found a few days later. His story, um, it, it just, it resulted in just a ton of online rumors and speculation. And I was able to confirm that he had alleged an abduction attempt, but the police wouldn't talk to me about it. And the young man himself wouldn't talk to me about it, despite my best efforts. But after that episode aired, I did hear from two sources who know the young man who are close to him. They both independently confirmed that the rumors are true, that this young man says he was abducted and that he escaped. Here's what one of the sources wrote to me. I don't know how much you know about the story, but it is absolutely insane. Probably everything you're imagining times a thousand. Now, this is significant because both criminologist Kim Rosmo and profiler Jim Van Allen suggested a key piece in determining whether a serial killer could be on the island might be to find someone who had gotten away. And it appears that this man could indeed be such a person. If his story is what it seems to be, I am puzzled as to why there wouldn't have been a warning to the public, why the police would tell me that at the end of their investigation, they were unable to substantiate a public threat. At any rate, I'm hoping the young man decides to speak with me, although I certainly appreciate that he's been through a traumatic experience and his safety, of course, comes first. What else have you
2: found out? Um, I think you mentioned to me something about uh, Daniel McDonnell.
1: So Daniel was one of the guys who had like really very little written or known about his disappearance. Danny, as his dad called him, is the Nova Scotian fisherman who'd moved to the West Coast and disappeared from Port Alberni in December 2016. Now, I'd been in touch with Daniel's brother and some friends, but only his dad ended up speaking with me on the record. His friends had expressed fear about talking about Danny, and they all share the belief that he was murdered. After the series began, one of Danny's very close friends did get in touch with me and agreed to provide some more information as long as I did not attribute where it came from. I believe this person is sincere in their fear. Here is what they told me. First, they told me that missing man Brandon Kearney and Daniel knew each other. This person actually saw them together in Port Alberni. Uh, They told me that Daniel had been involved in drugs. Not clear how deeply, but this source told me Daniel was connected with a drug dealer. And this is uh, going to strike you as odd, I'm sure, but... This drug dealer is one of the men whose name has been associated with the disappearance of Nanaimo's Lisa Marie Young. Her story, of course, was the focus of season one of my podcast. Uh, This source also told me that Daniel had a friend who bought him expensive clothes and shoes, and Daniel was very secretive about this man. The man appeared to be wealthy, drove an expensive, dark-colored SUV. Uh, this source also shared some small details, uh, which really helped bring Danny to life for me, how he loved having his cards read, how he was very social, how he was quite loud. And because he had a strong East coast accent, people called him Newfie, which he did not like as he was from Nova Scotia.
2: This is nuts that you're hearing all this. Um, as soon as the episodes are published, basically, what else do you have?
1: Well, I suppose when you're a reporter on a story about a possible serial killer, you shouldn't be surprised if people reach out to you with some pretty disturbing stuff. Right. Including from people who believe they know someone who could be a serial killer. One source sent me pictures and names of people they believe are involved in the missing men's cases. They have written to me a number of times, lengthy, detailed notes. They say they fear for their own safety and are not able to come forward. Here's part of one of the notes they sent. I can't just sit here and pray one more won't go missing or get hooked or pimped out or whatever it is they do before I get a chance to leave. Blank is a very intimidating person up close and has the feel of a cougar about to pounce. I met him only once. It was enough. I had the misfortune of crossing paths with someone they had in their sights. Young, medium build, pretty blonde boy, they were hooking on Fent. And here's what I heard from another source who claims they know someone involved in murdering men here on the island. He has a massive canvas tent and a shed full of tools, hollow areas on the property, and areas that look turned over. An addict living in an RV claimed to find bones in a ditch they were trying to unplug. He is a ship captain. He told me he dumps bodies. He is proficient in dismemberment. He was carrying a kill kit and disposal items in his truck. He drives up and down the island. He had a massive yellow cedar log delivered and told us he was going to carve a totem pole. He told me he was going to put the souls of people he had up in the totem through carving with the knives he'd used.
2: That is um, difficult to hear. What do you do with information like that? I assume you can't substantiate it.
1: So uh, if there is information which I can independently corroborate, then I publish a story in future episodes or updates of the podcast. In season one's investigation of Lisa Marie's case, people came forward to me, and I was able to put stories together. uh, And then those people also spoke with the RCMP investigator on Lisa's case. I don't work for the police, and it's important to me that sources know they can trust me. But I'm also a citizen of the island who cares about public safety, And so if the police ever want to talk to me about the cases, my door is, of course, open. I won't compromise a source ever, but if I can be helpful, I I will be.
2: So this season um, raised so many questions, and it is a mystery. And, you know, given all that you've just told me and everything that's still out there, um, there's not a lot of answers. Do listeners get... Frustrated by that, uh, you know, in comparison to a lot of true crime podcasts that sort of come in a nice little bow at the end?
1: You know, I, I think people understand that, unlike those true crime podcasts you mentioned, this is a story that is happening now. It's dynamic, and the police, for example, are holding their cards very close. But here's a question which was raised by one listener that I do have an answer for. The listener asked, who were the people killed in the van referred to in a recent episode? And are they connected to the story? In episode five, I introduced the Whiskey Creek murders and asked whether the phenomena of marginalized people living in the forest had anything to do with the missing men's cases. So to answer the listener's question, um, Sean McGrath, a 52-year-old with a lengthy criminal record and his girlfriend, Shanda Wilson, have been identified in a couple of credible local media reports as two of the victims. Neither the police nor the coroner have confirmed those identifications as yet. The identities of the third victim and the individual who was shot but survived are still unknown and no arrests have been made. And, you know, as to what, if anything, this has to do with the missing men's cases, one outreach worker I spoke with who visits the forest camps talked about a growing concern about violence and a feeling that these people were sitting ducks. Now, we know some of the missing men camped in the woods at times. And I've recently heard there was another violent incident in that Whiskey Creek area.
2: Who else have you heard from as you've continued to report this and as the story developed?
1: Well, I've been contacted by other family members of other missing people. Relatives searching for loved ones who have gone missing more recently, who are currently looking for their family members. Uh, Just a few weeks ago, a woman reached out. Her young nephew has been missing for months and was seen in Port Alberni, not far from where I live. I was able to put her in touch with Brandon Kearney's uncle, Mark, who is a wealth of information on marginalized men, and he helped this family in their search. So I would say there is something of a community developing around the series as well.
2: You mentioned the police and that, you know, you'd be willing to engage with them on this story. Um, Have you
1: heard anything from them? So I stay in regular contact with the RCMP throughout my work on the series, and there's been no official response to Gone Boys, nor would I expect one. But I just recently renewed my request to bring together investigating officers in these cases, and I hope they see a value to the public in updating these cases and the investigations and letting the communities know what level of coordination is happening in relation to the missing men. And I must say, I am feeling cautiously optimistic that that will happen.
2: So I remember way back um, when Island Crime was about to join Frequency, and we talked about what subjects you would cover for season two. And covering these missing men was a very intentional decision on your part. Um, and I wonder if there's been any fallout from that, if you've heard anything about that decision. It's a very different true crime podcast.
1: Yes. So here's a comment that popped up under one of the articles about Gone Boys. Is there a Gone Girls regarding the crazy amount of women, especially First Nation women, gone missing? And if not, Why not? The question sparked a bit of a debate in an online thread. And I've responded there, and I'd like to take the opportunity to respond here as well. Uh, As you know, much of the true crime genre is dominated by stories with female victims. And in Canada, there is the very real crisis of murdered and missing Indigenous women. And that was part of the reason I chose to tell Lisa Marie Young's story in season one. There needs to be a continued focus on those stories, especially as told by Indigenous storytellers. And I think there should also be a space for stories like Gone Boys. These men's cases received very little public attention. And as I learned in the series, men are more likely to go missing in Canada and their cases are more likely to remain unresolved. So I suppose I would say to those who take issue with my focus on the men's cases in this season, I don't apologize or regret in any way making the men's story a priority in season two. I think their stories deserve to be told, and I'm grateful people are listening and caring about the men. Uh, The podcast has now been downloaded tens of thousands of times, and my last check, uh, Nova, the dominatrix who made a map about the men, her map has been accessed almost 10,000 times now.
2: Wow. And now, uh, with all the episodes done and this interview done, um, and thank you for letting me do it with you. What is next? Are you planning more episodes, uh, the way you continue to follow Lisa's case? Are you thinking about a season three where does it go from here?
1: Well, first, if there are significant updates on season one or season two, I will publish new episodes. And for now, I'm starting work on season three, another Vancouver Island mystery. It will be out in the fall of 2021.
2: I am not going to ask you what it is because I don't want to spoil it for the listeners. Thanks so much, Laura, for having me on.
1: Jordan Heath-Rawlings is the host of the Big Story podcast on the Frequency Network. I was listening to some music recently and came across a song I'd like to dedicate to the Gone Boys. For Brandon, Desmond, Ian, Kelly, and Daniel. And for all the missing and those who love them. This is The River's Gonna Cry When You're Gone by Loving caliber
3: Hey, I heard you want to leave this place, but we grew up this old town, just put it all behind, remember you and I, would always find somewhere to hide when we were kids, so we could see and hear the water run, the river's gonna cry when you're gone. hanging on, waiting for you call Seems like that As a wave passing by Leave a mark in our marks to Turn the memories Rivers gonna cry when you're gonna gone gone, gone gone Rivers gonna cry when you're gone gone gone, gone, gone. Rivers gonna cry when you're gone, 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 gone. River's gonna cry when you're over. River's gonna cry when you're gone. Hey, I was hoping you would stay, but I've always known that you would go find your own way. I still see when we climbed up in those 12 years old, feel the wind, watch the river run, and the sun would always shine, when we sat there, you and I, the river's gonna cry when you're Want to leave this place Where we grew up This old town Just leave it all behind
1: The river's gonna cry When you're gone I'm Laura Palmer And you've been listening to Gone Boys Season 2 of Island Crime If you haven't already rated And reviewed the podcast Please take a moment to do so And If you have information about the missing men, I'm reachable at laura at laurapalmer.ca.